Hi, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest, and we're glad that you've joined us today for this podcast. At Restoration, our mission is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So around here, that takes place in a lot of different ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open up God's word to explore the truth of his word and how we can apply it to our lives. And so we hope that you're able to do that with this message today. We would never want this to be a replacement for church. We would like for it to be a supplement for you as you explore deeper intimacy with Jesus. But if you don't have a church home, join us any week at 9 a.m., and 11 a.m. Welcome to Restoration. Hey, well, as always, it's good to be with you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff, uh, and it's just such a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. Um, I have the honor of being able to share this stage with so many of our great teachers, uh, but one I want to recognize this morning is Greg. He's done such an incredible job over these last couple of weeks preparing us for what we're going to talk about today, and so often he gets to celebrate everyone else that teaches, and I just want to tell him thank you for allowing me to sit under your teaching on a weekly basis. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be continuing on in our five-year study of the book of Matthew, right? So that's exciting. With two weeks in, we only have, what, 257, including today. So we're good to go, right? So no, we've already made it through chapter one. And in one chapter, what we have seen is the incredible counterintuitive ways of God. Is that right? We've seen, if we look at just what makes common sense to you and I, is not really how God works out his own plans, from the genealogy of Jesus and what Greg has said is this, mu this messed up bunch of people that jacked up bunch of people, I think that's the word, this jacked up bunch of people that Jesus's bloodline comes through and yet even to the miracle of Jesus being born by the Virgin Mary last week, it is an incredibly counterintuitive way in how God desires to work out his plans. And Greg asked the question last week, it was this, do you believe in miracles? Right, the old Al Michaels from the, the uh, hockey between the Russians and the, the Americans. Do you believe in miracles is what Al Michaels said at the end of the game. But we were asking the question, do you believe in miracles when it comes to the virgin birth? And so last week, if you answered that question and hopefully you saw the truth in that question, you said, yes, by the end of the message, I do believe in miracles. I do believe in the virgin birth of Mary. Now the next question is this, how are you to respond to that? What does it look like for us to respond to Jesus rightly, knowing that this miracle is absolutely true? And in this season, how do we respond to him as our King of Kings? All right, so that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles. <clears throat> but before we get there, I do want to ask one question. How often do you, what's the question that you get most, uh, is most commonly asked in the foyer? Maybe it's when you run into someone at the grocery store. During this particular season, what's the small talk question that is always asked of you? Are you ready? Right? Are you ready? And what's the implications behind that? Are you ready for all the trappings of Christmas? For what the Christian culture has demanded of Christmas today? Are you ready by, have you done your decorating? Are you ready? Have you bought your presents yet that, you know, they're going to break in 10 days after you give them to your kids? Are you ready? Have you gone hungry yet because you've 
been to 247 parties this year and you have just a few more? Like, are you actually ready for Christmas? And the sad part about that is very rarely does it actually come when you're asking the question, are you ready? Or when you're answering the question, are you ready? Rarely does it have to come with the anticipation of hope of Jesus. Like, are you ready to anticipate his coming? And not just the coming when he came as a baby, but his second coming. Are you ready for the hope and glory of Jesus Christ? So that's my, that's my prayer for us this morning. That rather than getting wrapped up in the Christian culture of what Christmas is today, just a shadow of who he is today, that actually we'd step back and say, you know what, I want to behold Jesus. We're going to see that word in the text today. It comes most commonly in the ESV version. But it says, I want to behold Jesus. I want to hold him. I want to look at him. I want to perceive him. I want to understand him. So are you ready this morning to respond to him rightly? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to just kind of uh, dissect it verse by verse. Starting in verse 1 says this, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, again, there's that word behold, look at, perceive, understand. Behold, wise men came from the east, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And they're referring to uh, the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says this, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for a child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And we know this is just a ruse, right? Actually, what later happens in Herod actually demands the death and the execution of all boys under the age of two. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. So this is just a ruse when he's sending the wise men out to find them. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, there again, that word behold, the star that had been seen, that they had seen when it rose, went before them and it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of joy. Okay, that's not just your normal joy. Rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. We'll talk about that again in just a minute. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is God's word. All right, so verse one, we're gonna start out here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. Now, I know this verse real quick just sounds very simplistic, like it's trying to add some context into what's going on in the story, the, the who's, what's, where, when, and why. But I want you to see something here. Matthew is actually being incredibly deliberate about what he's saying here. He's reminding his readers of the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He's telling everyone that this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one we've been looking for. Now think about that. For the first time right here, what Matthew is declaring is heaven colliding with earth. 
That's what he's declaring is heaven colliding with earth. And we sang about that just a few minutes ago, a touch of heaven. We desire this touch of heaven in our hearts. And the beautiful thing is, is this isn't just when heaven collided with earth. We now have heaven in us. When we've accepted Christ as our savior, the spirit of God now dwells within us. And so what Matthew is saying is absolutely beautiful. He's saying here is heaven colliding with earth. And what he means by that is Jesus has collided with earth. Now, let's have a better understanding of who Jesus is. Let's read what Paul says about him in, first, in, uh, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He says, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That's you and I making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the Jesus that Matthew is talking about. Matthew is saying that this Jesus enters into the world in a very particular time, in a very particular place. And not only that, but Jesus subjects himself to the very things that you and I experience today in a broken world with broken people. Seriously, think about that. The king of kings, the, rulers of, the ruler of the universe submits himself to time and space so that he could save the very thing he created. The willingness and nature of God in our, our world. What kind of love is that? What kind of beautiful love is that? It's a love that only comes from above. It's a heavenly love. And Matthew's declaring this is what we are experiencing when Jesus came. Moving on, that was just half of verse one. Here we go. Rest of verse one, behold, look at, perceive, understand, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So when we see this word wise men, what it's suggesting is that these guys were actually astrologers and known magicians. A lot of of, uh, translations actually refer to them as the magi. Right, And so they were most likely from Babylon, which again is 900 miles away. So it wasn't just a short jaunt for them to travel this far. But why does this matter? Why does it matter that Matthew is calling them wise men? Because in today's world, when we think of wise men, we think of scholars. We think of those with wisdom who understand astronomy. But the difference is, is that these men were using astronomy for the purpose of astrology, They were fortune tellers. They were using the stars to tell people's fortunes, which is forbidden in the Old Testament text, which leads us to believe that these guys probably aren't really well loved in Israel, right? No, they're from the East, they're from Babylon, and they practice practice the mystical arts, which again is forbidden under Old Testament law. So if Matthew's trying to build some sort of case for credibility here with the wise men, he's not doing a great job. Like if you were trying to build credibility for the story, would you and I use the wise men in this story? No, he's probably failing at this point. Which again, as Greg spoke about last week, this is God's counterintuitive ways. Matthew is showing us here that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, but rather he came for everyone. And this is good news for you and I, right? This is good news. Because what we are seeing here is for those that saw themselves outside of the covenant grace, they now have a place. That's amazing. 
They can come and experience God's blessing, his mercy, and his love. But not only does God show his counterintuitive ways there, but where do the wise men go? In that text, where do they go? They went to the temple. Now, again, common sense would tell you, hey, if a king was going to be born, where is he going to be born? In the king's house. So they skip past Bethlehem, and they go straight to the king's temple. They're expecting some big city with pomp and circumstance and big celebrations, and that's what they're going to expect. But again, in God's counterintuitive ways, it's completely upside down and humble. It caught the wise men completely off guard, and it should, because over and over again, God shows us what true power and humility looks like. Jesus wasn't born in a king's house. He was born in a small town, in a small house, in the most unexpected ways. But wait, there's more. Lastly, again, and uh, forgive me because I'm geeking out here a little bit, but there's been a lot of debate. There's been a lot of debate and theologians and scholars and scientists alike have all looked at this verse and wondered, okay, what does it actually mean when it says the stars are moving, right? What does it actually mean? Because most of us would say, you know what? Stars don't move. They just don't move. We understand that from science and all this stuff that we understand that stars just don't move. So most of us believe that. I'm not sure what flat earthers think when they think, okay, no, the earth stands still and it's the stars that move around us. But you're surprised. There's a few of us in here. Not us. I shouldn't. (laughs) Not I. Let me just be clear. Uh, The thoughts and opinions of stars and how they move do not represent restoration as a whole. So that's a disclaimer right there. But (laughs) stars don't move. And so this is completely outside of what we come to understand. But in my studies this week, again, there's been a lot of debate on how this happened. Was it planetary alignment that was going on? Was it some sort of comment? Some even suggest it was a supernova, which if you think about a supernova as an exploding star, think about that for a second. In God's sovereign ways, if it was an exploding star, how many millions of years in advance would he have to create that star, allow it to explode for that light to travel the millions of light years to meet the wise men at that particular time in that particular place? That's mind-blowing to me. And yet there's some out there that even say it was an angel. There's some that debate whether or not it was actually even a star, that the wise men didn't have a word for it, an understanding for it, that they said it was a star, but it was actually an angel. And some would say, you know, that actually lines up with text because how did God reveal himself to Mary, to Joseph, to Zechariah, to the shepherds? was an angel. So again, we don't know what exactly was going on at this point. There's a lot of debate going on. But much like Greg said last week when it came to old earth and new earth, it doesn't matter how God created, the fact is, is that God created. That's the most important part of that text. And here's what I'm telling you today. The most, important, the most impressive thing about this text today isn't that a star was moving or not moving. That has nothing to do. The most impressive thing about this text is the fact that the creator of those stars used the wise men, spoke to the wise men through those stars to draw them close to experience their creator. That Jesus, the King of Kings, came to earth to reveal himself. That's the most impressive thing about this text. So, moving on. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And here's what we see what a wrong response to Jesus looks like during this season. 
And again, if you've come this far in the text, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, and again, you've come to the conclusion, yes, the virgin birth of Jesus is actually true, and it is right. Now, how do we respond to that such thing? Because what we see from Herod today is that this long-awaited king of Israel had been born. He isn't, Herod isn't celebrating. He isn't excited. He isn't intrigued. He's troubled. Why? Because Herod realizes there can't be two kings. Herod is realizing, oh man, if the king of kings has come, the king of Israel has come, I'm in trouble. You see, if Jesus is king, then Herod is not. And of course, Herod doesn't like this because he likes his autonomy. He likes being king. He likes being in control. And he likes the power of that role. Now, we might read this and begin to think, man, Herod's a bad dude. And don't get me wrong, he is a bad dude. But I think we get caught up in that sometimes where we try to look at ourselves a little bit better than the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the judges or King Herod. And we're like, man, those are, I'm nothing like those guys. But to be clear, Herod is a horribly insecure dude. All right, what we know, again, what we talked about earlier is he goes on to call for the execution of all uh, boys under the age of two. And so dozens of boys were murdered during that time. But later on, history tells us that he actually murders his own wife and his own children because he was afraid they were gonna usurp his power. So Herod is an incredibly insecure and bad guy, but I don't think we get off that easily because the king that was born in this small little town in a small little house, doesn't just go on to proclaim he's the king of Israel, he goes on to proclaim he is the king of kings. And as he grows in his teaching, he makes demands on the lives of his followers that are completely comprehensive. Which means for every single one of his disciples and followers, they face the same crisis that Herod did. Which says that if Jesus is king, then I am not. If Jesus is king, then I am not. Church, some of you are struggling to respond to the miracle of Jesus this morning because you know that if you do, if you do see him properly as the king of kings, then he's going to ask you for obedience and allegiance in your life that you don't actually want to give. You see, most of us live in a world today that, and with this warped idea that what is good for me is good for me and what's good for you is good for you. So let's just keep it at that, Right? which means that we begin to think that no one else gets to tell us what to do. That if anyone mandates it for me, if someone else makes me do it, then it cannot be good because if it denies my autonomy, if it denies my pleasure, then it can't be right. So we live with this mentality that you can't tell me what to do. But the problem with that is that the message that comes with the king of kings, the message that comes with Jesus is that someone actually does get to tell you what to do. Because the crisis we face in being a follower of Jesus is that he says he's the king and that he makes the call of what is good in our lives. He makes the call of what is good and what is not. And if you're anything like me, you find yourself questioning this all the time. Like, does Jesus really know what's good for me? I mean, like in this exact moment, like not right here right now on stage, but like in my life as I'm going through certain things, does he actually know what is good for me? Because when I read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing seems counterintuitive. I mean, Jesus is proclaiming, this is how you are to live. And so when I read this, it goes completely against common sense and how I'm to live in this world. For instance, in my flesh, when I see Jesus, when he tells his people, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth, my first reaction is, I don't think so. I don't see the meek inheriting the earth. I see the powerful doing it. I see them inheriting everything, but I don't see the meek doing it. Jesus, I don't think you know what you're talking about. And then it goes on, it says, blessed are you... 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Nope, Jesus, that one's wrong too, right? I don't think you understand how hard and how painful that is. And he's like, are you serious? You know what they did to me, right? You know they hung me on a cross. You know they mocked me and tortured me. I know exactly what it means to be persecuted. And so we say, no, Jesus, you got this wrong. But again, the problem is, is he is king and I am not. So he is right and I am wrong. Or try this one for size. Do not be angry with your brother and if he has something against you, go back and be reconciled before you leave your gift at the altar. Really? Do you know how he treated me, Jesus? Do you know what they said about me? You want me to go back and reconcile? How about they come to me? Again, Jesus makes demands on our lives that are completely comprehensive. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Come on, Jesus, Jesus that can't obviously be good. Or here's my favorite. No one can serve two masters. Uh-oh, talking about something. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When we hear that, you know what we think? Nah, Jesus, I got that one. Hey, I don't know about those other people, but I'm good. You know who can't handle it? That person that's just a little bit more richer than me. They're bad people, but I got this. But Jesus says, no, you can't do it. You can't do this. So he is right and I am wrong. And again, there are gonna be times in your life that you're confronted with the teachings of Jesus and the demands he's going to make on your life and you're gonna experience a crisis just like Herod. You're gonna go through your own Herodian crisis. How do I respond to Jesus as the king of kings? Herod didn't want a king. He didn't want someone to contend with. He didn't want someone to contend with his autonomy, his pleasure, the power in his life, because if that, then he would miss, if he contended with those things, if he actually gave up to those things, then he wouldn't have missed out on the opportunity to respond to the miracle of Jesus. The one who could actually bring meaning and purpose to his life, the uncreated creator who could bring peace to his soul, the one who could give him joy and life and abundance, the very thing he was chasing after, abundance. And he missed out being able to respond to the creator in such a way that would give him that. Why? Because it meant laying down his authority. It meant laying down his authority. What he felt he had control over. And he lived in fear. And so many of us believe the miracle of Jesus today. Many of us believe it. We say, you know what? Yeah, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. But not to the extent where our response means laying down our authority. Not to the extent where we lay down our power. And we say, Jesus, you're the king of my life. Like when was the last time you said, Jesus, you're my king? Because there's something that comes with that. When you say that, it's, there's something that just unleashes in your soul. There's this burden that breaks off of you when you say, I'm not in control, but you are. And there's a freedom in that. Most of us are afraid of that freedom because we don't know what comes with it. So you might say, I believe in the miracle, but you would fail to respond to Jesus as the King of Kings because much like Herod, you are troubled of losing your own kingship. Now, please don't hear me like I've got this on lockdown. Okay, please don't hear me that I've got this figured out. Because <laughs> even this week, as I was studying, I'm still realizing there's areas in my life where I haven't laid down authority. 
struggling this week, even in my own marriage, just being like, okay, I recognize there's parts of me that still desire. Sorry, excuse me. There's parts of me that still desire to hold on to this power and this control in my life, and yet it's not serving my wife well. And so I said, okay, Jesus, how do I do this? Because there's parts that I just don't want to give up. And he says, hey, it's not about you. Give them to me and watch what I can do. And the healing that came through my wife and I this week, even in just these little, I mean, they were dumb moments like where we were fighting, but it was beautiful when I finally let go of that kingship and say, okay, this is yours and the healing that he brought to our marriage. And so I don't have this on lockdown. I don't have this all figured out because sometimes I wonder why I have trouble responding to him as the king because if I'm being honest with himself, I don't believe that he is in areas of my life and so I don't submit to him. Now, if we respond to Jesus properly, here's the deal. Then we will actually obey him fully. We'll actually see him for who he really is. Then we will have no other choice to respond to him and saying, you are the king. When if that means, what that means is that if you have ongoing sin in your life, if you have knowing, ongoing, knowingly ongoing sin in your life, what that means is that you're not properly responding to him as the king. And so ask yourself, what is, why are you holding back? What is it that you're not giving over to him this morning? Now, to be clear, I don't think this is everyone. But there may be times in your life or certain areas in your life where that is true. But there's another response or lack thereof that I want to see this morning. You see, I do believe that there are many who are spending time in the secret place, who are listening to the voice of God, who are communicating with God. You're fighting for obedience in your life. You're being challenged to live into your E210 calling. And then at the end of the year, you're like, you know what? I've got nothing left in the tank. So I'm just going to sort of cruise through this season on autopilot. And so we fail to respond to Jesus rightly in the season because honestly, we just aren't interested. We're apathetic. Or if you're anything like me, you've been lullabied to sleep by the story of Jesus. You've heard it so many times that it's just, you've been lullabied to sleep. And it just doesn't have the impact on it, on your life as it has in past years. So let's look at verse three and understand this other wrong way to respond to Jesus. Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, again, these are the most intelligent people when it comes to the scriptures. They write the scriptures, they understand the scriptures, they study the scriptures, and Herod is inviting them in for information. And so he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Now, I find this incredibly interesting. Herod summons, again, the most knowledgeable people he could find, and he asks them the one thing that they're all looking for, which is what? The coming Messiah. Where is the coming Messiah to be born? And again, these men have devoted their lives to the scriptures. They know the Torah forwards and backwards. They understand it. They study them intently, looking for and understanding God's nature, his ways. And then when asked the simple question, where is the Messiah, the Christ to be born? They answered without hesitation. Now, you think these guys would just be ecstatic, right? You would think that they've, they've heard that these wise men have come, they're proclaiming the stars have moved and all of a sudden they know where the Messiah is gonna be born. The star has come to rest over this area and they know the prophecy. When asked the question, it was an immediate answer. They know what's going on there. You think they would have quickly hurried along their way. 
Now keep in mind, Bethlehem from where they are in Jerusalem is only five miles away. So it's just a short walk, right? It's basically from here to Wood Forest. But what is interesting is we have no sign, no indication whatsoever that these men, these same men who had been studying the scriptures for as long as they could remember, they knew the prophecy of the coming king, but we have no sign that they left and went to Bethlehem in searching of the coming king. Huh. It's almost as if they gave Herod their answer and then they went back to their busy lives of studying scriptures. Rather than taking a five-mile walk to Bethlehem, at an extremely slow pace, that's only three to four hours, right? Very slow pace. Now, why didn't they go? Why didn't they go? Well, we don't know exactly because the scriptures don't actually tell us why they didn't go. But it seems as if they're completely satisfied with experiencing just a shadow of Jesus, just knowledge of him, rather than actually being in an intimate relationship with their creator, rather than desiring to have a deep and intimate relationship with him. Now, again, I'm not telling you, please don't hear this. I'm not telling you that the word of God is just a shadow of who he is, okay? This is how God communicates with us. This is how he talks to us. We take ourselves very unseriously, but we take the word of God very seriously. So this is how he communicates with us. But that's not the only relationship that we have with him, the ability to have a relationship with him. We have a relationship through the spirit and for us to communicate with him. And so if all you have is just a bunch of knowledge of Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with him, then you're missing out because that's just a shadow of the total thing, the total package, okay? So don't hear me say that this is not important, that them studying the scriptures are not important. What I am telling you is that it looked like they grew apathetic to the story. It looked like they had been lullabied to sleep by knowing the story completely. And so what it made me realize is that many of us as I was studying in the text this week, many of us are going to miss the mark in responding to Jesus rightly during the season, not because we're experiencing some sort of Herodian crisis, recognizing or refusing to recognize that he is king and I am not, but maybe we've been lulled asleep by the comfort of our Christian culture. And so many of the images and shadows that represent Jesus, and all it's done is cheapen Jesus for who he really is, the king of kings. And so we get caught up in all the things that culture represents, says represents this season. The lights, the trees, the celebrations, which are all good things, but they become the ultimate thing. And therefore we miss Jesus. And again, this has been true in my life. Even three weeks ago, maybe uh, before I even understood I was preaching this passage. And this is just God's beautiful, amazing, merciful, graceful way of reminding me of the things that I need in my life. But I was confessing to our team and to my wife that I missed Jesus last season, that I got caught up in the trappings of Christian culture, that I was excited about all the decorating and the parties and the festivities. And by the time that it ended, I realized I failed to actually behold who Jesus is in my life. And I got to the end of it and I was like, man, I missed out on all of that. And I was grieved by that. And so this year I made a promise and I really just confessed to God that this is what happened to me last year. And I want to perceive and look at, I want to turn and look at you in a new way. I want to repent of that. And so Jesus helped me see that. And so a couple of weeks ago, we were going to a party, 247 of the 248 we had. And so we were leaving for this party. And uh, in my yard, I have every blow up that you can imagine, 
right, from Home Depot. Greg even says, dude, you literally bought every blow up that is available at Home Depot. And so it's hilarious. We were actually tripping breakers this year where how many blow ups we had. So we had to kind of figure that out, uh, how to uh, get all those plugged in without tripping breakers and I have every, uh, everything you can imagine, all these like pagan symbols. <laughs> so, let me, I have snowmen, I have Santa Claus, I have unicorns, I have Yoda, I have Peppa the Pig and Snoopy and Mickey Mouse. And you're all wondering like, great, so where's the manger? Don't worry, we have a blow up manger as well, right in the center, okay? So we're going to this party and the night before it rained and so all the blow ups had a bunch of water in them and the manger one wasn't blowing up correctly. So I went over and I went and I went to pull it up and I grabbed the star and the star moved, which again is the only time I've seen a star move. So the star moved and I looked down and oh my gosh, look what I see is baby Jesus. And it just caught me in that moment. It was like God reminded me, this is what you worship. And I got to thinking to myself, how ridiculous is it that this is the thing that has changed and transformed my life? This baby in a cradle. Not ridiculous as how crazy it is, but how ridiculous is it that he would do that for me? This baby in a cradle as heaven collides with earth with earth transformed me and changed me. It saved my marriage, saved me. I've seen my friends completely transformed in their lives. I've seen my father completely transformed because of this baby. And in that moment, I got to behold Jesus, even as a little blow up <laughs> from Home Depot. God was giving me just that little wink, said, hey, remember Remember what you prayed for? Here's a moment where you get to experience that. And so maybe this season, you're going to miss the ability to respond to Jesus rightly this season because you're too distracted and life is too full. Perhaps that's you this season. Some of you are gonna miss it because you become too familiar with the story. That's actually one of the greatest truths that's ever been told that the God of the universe came to this world and he changed everything. He flipped the paradigm completely. Some of you are going to miss it because you become too familiar with that story. And yet we've reduced that story to lights and trinkets and blow-ups that you can buy at Home Depot and so we miss out. And yet some of you will miss him because you become too comfor comfortable with the comfort of your own lives and confident in your own abilities to save yourself and you fail to remember how desperately you need a savior. Which if you respond to Jesus rightly... That's who he is for you. So church, let's not miss out on him this season. And again, just because like, we shouldn't miss out on him all year. Let's not make it just this season. We shouldn't miss out on him all year. Let's never become apathetic to who he is and what he's done for us, amen? Because if we don't, or I'm sorry, if we do respond to him rightly, let me show you what happens. Look at this. This is the right response to when we believe the miracle of Jesus. The right response to Jesus is this, joy, faith, worship, and sacrifice. So again, let's look at these pagan men, these astrologers, and let's see how they respond to the king of kings. Verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for a king. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that had seen, they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Honestly, think about this. This is such an incredible scene. I want you to almost picture yourself as a fly in the wall in this scene. A scene where God leads pagan men, astrologers, fortune tellers to be some of the first worshipers of Christ when he's still just a small child. And how they respond in that moment, how they respond in that moment should, how, should be how we respond even 2,000 years later. First thing we see is joy. And this isn't just a simple joy like when I order chips and quesos from Torchies because that gets me excited, right? But I'm talking about exceedingly great. They rejoiced, this outward expression of joy, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That's incredible. But when was the last time you responded to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you in this life with joy? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you sat back and you thought, oh man, Look what my Savior has done for me. Because the reality is, is if joy doesn't flow from us, that's a sure sign we, are, we aren't responding to him properly. So if you respond to him rightly, joy just tends to flow from you. And then what flows from you is faith. The text says that we saw the child there with his mother Mary and they fell down. Again, think about the gravity of what was just said there. In that exact moment, these pagan men, these worshipers of the stars, these fortune tellers changed their entire mindset and simply and yet profoundly responded in that moment with faith. They look at a child, not born in a temple, not born in a big city in the king's house, but rather in a small house in a city that was believed that nothing good ever came from. And their entire mindset was changed and they bow their faces down in faith. Nothing about their upbringing, nothing about how they grew up would lead them to do this. But in that moment, they are submitting their identity. They are submitting their thoughts. They are submitting their lordship to this Jesus. And the only way that happens is through supernatural faith. Why is this so astonishing? Because they fell at the feet of a child. That's what's astonishing. Now I've had the pleasure of being the father of four children and all of them have been small at some point. And if I'm being honest with you, I have fallen at their feet before, but never in worship. Please just go to sleep. I will do anything if you just, uh, one more glass of water, one more story, one more blanket. I will go to sleep. You will go to sleep. Just please just do it. Am I right? But when we ever come across other people's kids, other people's children, what do we do? We ooh and we ah, we pinch their cheeks, and then we hand them back over. We don't fall at their feet and worship and think, that's my king of kings, that's my lord of lords, that is my savior. We don't do that. And yet these wise men, that's what they do. By faith, the wise men see it. 
they recognize the kingship of Jesus. And that takes faith. It takes supernatural faith. And it still takes supernatural faith today. Because as an infant, this isn't even the weakest that Jesus will be. I mean, probably in some instances, he could barely hold his head up. That's a pretty weak deal. But think about it. He will become weaker as he grows. As he's in his ministry, he will be publicly hung on a cross as a weak and hated criminal. Criminal. He will be beaten, mocked, tortured, and bruised. It takes supernatural faith to hold on to the fact that Jesus' weakness and the weakness of our Lord is actually our ultimate strength. And what is perceived as his defeat is actually our greatest hope. That takes supernatural faith. Church, what would it look like to respond to Jesus this season with that kind of faith? Saying, you are my King of kings, my Lord of lords. My life is yours. And so what flows from that when joy and faith are combined is worship. They fall down and they worship him. This is the right response when seeing Jesus. If by faith we recognize his sovereignty and his lordship on our lives, then we will have a deep desire to actually worship him. To worship him for who he actually says he is. And here's the cool part. We're actually going to have a chance to do that in just a moment. We're actually going to have a chance to worship him after hearing this text and realizing that this truth of Jesus being born is a miracle. And how do we respond to him this season? We respond to him in joy and faith and worship. But the Christian culture today so often is, you know, as soon as the preacher starts praying, I'm out. Why? Because I got to get to lunch. I got a tea time. I got all this kind of busyness to do. And we don't actually take a moment to actually just worship him. So church, please just slow down for a moment today. Take a minute. Read the words that are on these pages and recognize that your king of kings, the uncreated creator came so that you might be reconciled back to him. Would you worship him this season? Lastly, what flows from worship? Sacrifice. Matthew 2.11 says this, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, pricely and costly and sacrificial gifts. When we respond to Christ for who he is, then it looks like us recognizing that our own lives and the things that we own are not actually ours. And we can actually move them to where they belong. And that is at the feet of Jesus. Which is why Paul says in Romans 12, he says this, I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. So when you stop and recognize the abundance of mercy that God has poured out on our lives and the restoration and redemption that he's chosen to give you, that he's chosen to provide for you, then your only natural response to that is to present your bodies in worship to him and recognize that you are not your own because you were bought with a price. So everything you have, including your life, the correct response to that is just offering it back to him. Say, God, I am yours. First John 4, 9 says this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Church, we are not our own. 
Our lives are meant to be lived outwardly for others. We proclaim Christ and we love others. Why? Because much like Greg said last week, if this story ends with us, then it's not very compelling. If the greatest story that was ever told, the uncreated creator, the king of kings, came to earth for you and I, and it stops with us, it's not very compelling. So what's your response today? How are you going to respond to the miracle of Jesus? Are there areas in your life that you still hold control over? That you're struggling because you recognize you still desire to be king. And yet Jesus comes and says, no, I am your king. I'm the king of kings. Or maybe it's just apathy that's kind of gotten to you. You've been, much like me, you've been lullabied to sleep because you've heard this story for so many times for so many years and you don't recognize the amazingness of what it actually is that he came for you. Or maybe today you're gonna respond with joy, with faith, with worship and sacrifice. Knowing the greatest privilege you have is to tell this story over and over again to those that you come in contact with. That you've been given a calling on your life to share the word of God and share who he is. The uncreated creator, heaven touching earth as the king of kings, your king. So I'm gonna give you just a few minutes. All too often we hear a sermon and Man, that was good. But we forget to actually let that settle into our hearts for a few minutes. And so I want to give you just a minute to just pray through that, to respond. We talked about responding this morning. So we're going to let, I'm going to give you the time to respond to that. And so I'm going to lead you through some prayer. But we also have partners that are going to be, uh, uh, prayer partners that are going to be lined up along the wall. And here's my ask of you. If you are in such a place this morning that you don't even know how to pray or what to pray, then just go meet with one of them because their E210 calling is to bridge the gap between you and God, to pray for you. And maybe you don't even have the words, but they just allow them to pray on your behalf. It's such a blessing to them and it'll be a blessing to you. So they'll be lined up against the wall and I encourage you to go visit them. But if you would, let's just take the next few minutes. We're gonna pray. I'll lead you through some prayers and then we'll worship right after that. So if you would, just feel yourself in your chair in this moment. Push away the distractions of everything that you have going on outside of this room and just be. Say, Jesus, will you talk to me this morning? I want to hear from you.